Welcome to In Conversation, a monthly podcast that takes a deeper look into everything we're working on here at Longroad. Tune in to hear more from our contributors, editors, and experts who are part of the journalism we publish and the stories we tell. I'm Faranisa Campana, and this week we'll hear from Viktoras Antonopoulos, a journalist from Athens, Greece. When Viktoras and his colleagues traveled to southeastern Turkey in February, an earthquake had just turned much of the region into piles of rubble. Tens of thousands died on both sides of the Turkish-Syrian border, and homes and other buildings were reduced to mounds of busted-up concrete and mangled steel. Viktoras had hoped to speak with locals as well as Syrian refugees who now face displacement yet again. But during his reporting, speaking with Syrians proved a difficult task. At one refugee camp, the manager forbade him from speaking with anyone at all, but allowed him to take photos. Elsewhere, some told him most refugees feared talking to the press, the Turkish government, they said, might retaliate. His work and that of his colleagues came to a halt when Turkish authorities confiscated their cameras and phones. When authorities later smashed the cameras and phones, Viktoras lost many of the interviews he had conducted throughout the trip. He recounted the trip and this experience to Long Road magazine in a recent piece titled After the Earthquake. I recently interviewed Viktoras about that piece, the challenges he faced while reporting, and Turkish authorities' decision to confiscate equipment belonging to him and his colleagues. Welcome, Viktoras. To get started, can you first talk a little bit about the work you've been doing lately and how you decided to cover the recent earthquake along the Turkey-Syria border? Actually, I'm a, I'm a reporter for uh, the past uh, five years. I used to work in a radio station covering uh, mostly breaking news or uh, demonstrations, uh, wildfires and things uh, like that. And there was a time last year when I thought that I don't want to do only this. I mean, uh, covering, uh, reporting from uh, demonstrations and uh, stuff that I like, but... I wanted something uh, something more. So I decided to go to Moldova to report from uh, to report about the refugee crisis due to the Ukrainian uh, the Ukrainian war. So actually then I started to think about doing feature stories and uh, working as a freelancer and I quit my job on uh, August and right now I still work as a freelancer. And after the earthquake, I decided to to go to Turkey to do this. I mean, uh, to to write uh, stories, to to take uh, documentary pictures, and uh, because I like this uh, work, except from uh, the news, uh, uh, the breaking news part. I like to to write about the aftermath and uh, the 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 consequences uh, of uh, something so so big and so devastating i think that people want to share their story that's my conclusion that people who who are affected by every crisis if it's uh, the earthquake crisis could be the refugee crisis people want to share their story and they expect from journalists to share their stories 
and share the stories with dignity and respecting their uh, point of view. So I think it's uh, it's very important for us as journalists uh, to understand that these people want to be heard. You and a handful of your colleagues traveled to Southeast Turkey after the earthquake in early February. Tens of thousands of people died on both sides of the Turkish-Syrian border. Can you give us a sense of what you saw and heard while you were reporting in the area? Actually, I I went to Turkey a, a week after the earthquake, so I, I didn't uh, see any rescues in the in the place. But you see everywhere uh, ruins and uh, damaged buildings and people getting their own things from uh, their homes to leave the place. So basically, we saw a lot of people being very anxious and um, nervous. What I saw was uh, uh, cities that need to be rebuilt from zero and no one can live uh, in these uh, cities, Uh, only in tents. They can live in tents, but uh, for how long? And of course, there were the the tent cities where people who were affected by the earthquake were living there was there were mostly syrians in living in these uh, tent cities and in other uh, cities like hatay mostly turkish people uh, were living uh, as i wrote on the article uh, a syrian told me that uh, it's not allowed for uh, syrian people to live in these uh, in these specific uh, tents but again I couldn't confirm it. However, there was a sense that uh, the Syrians were like the enemy for the authorities. A soldier, for for example, told me that uh, we are here to protect you from uh, the Syrians who steal your belongings, etc., etc. Southeastern Turkey is home to a large population of Syrian refugees. In fact, the country hosts around 4 million Syrians currently. What was this earthquake like for those who'd already been displaced by war in Syria and were now living in the quake zone? In your piece, you speak a little bit about how local authorities tried, in fact, to hinder reporters' ability to speak with Syrians. Can you also explain a bit about what that experience was like? Okay, in in some interviews uh, I took, they were saying that Uh, Here in the tent camps, uh, the conditions are fine, they have food, but uh, it was like closed camps, like like we're talking here in Greece about uh, closed camps in uh, Lesbos or uh, in Samos. They didn't want the Syrians to to share their story, actually. Uh, They were living in in a closed camp. I don't know if uh, they could leave this uh, camp. I think they couldn't, only with uh, permission. I couldn't. I can confi- confirm that because uh, no one will tell you the truth. But you leave your hometown, and you you now live in a tent city, uh, and no one can uh, reach you in this uh, tent city, and journalists uh, cannot uh, take interviews. So how how good these conditions can be? I mean, it's it can be good for a for a person to live in a, like a quarantine. It was like a quarantine. In your opinion, why were the Turkish authorities so sensitive about media interviews with Syrians? In the end, you were able to speak to a few people, correct? Yeah, 
Um, what were their stories like? Yeah, we, we were able to speak with people in with Syrian people in in open open tent cities, and uh, people who were living in their own tents. But I think it's uh, it has to do with the the cities we were. For example, when we were in uh, Osmani, it's where we couldn't take interviews from uh, Syrian people. And we had uh, the manager uh, following us and make, making sure that we won't take any interviews. But in, uh, in a village uh, near Maras, it was a very small village and they, they just didn't have uh, so many policemen and uh, soldiers uh, patrolling the, the whole city. Uh, I think it has to do with uh, their inability to control so many people and so many damaged cities. Uh, that's why we managed to interview some Syrians. You also mention in the piece that some of those Syrians would now move on toward Europe. You're based in Greece, where you've reported on the government's migration policies before. What kind of treatment could Syrians, and now Turks, who have been displaced by the earthquake, expect from Europe? They don't expect to live in tents. I think they, I'm sure they expect uh, some uh, good conditions. I mean, living in a house, <laughs> the the basic conditions that a person can expect from a, a country. And, and also they want to be officially immigrate. They don't want to to travel, uh, I will say legally, but I mean uh, that many people cannot cannot have uh, the papers that the governments uh, are asking. It's uh, because the, the terms are uh, very difficult to be fulfilled. So many people decide to immigrate uh, through water. And we see the the aftermath of this. It's devastating. So they want to to do this legally in order to to be safe. They know that if they decide to travel illegally, the authorities will chase them, and maybe they will end up in a boat in a, the Greek islands. They do know this situation. I'm I'm sure about it. So they they want to travel to, for example, to Athens, live in a house safe safely with the, their papers, and uh, maybe after that they will decide to travel to another country. But they don't want to to experience the same uh, the same thing they experienced after they leave. Uh, after they left uh, their homeland, where uh, in, in Syria they have civil war, uh, they don't want to to experience the same the same tragedy. I mean, the, the walking uh, for uh, thousands of kilometers to find a place where they will feel safe. I wanted to ask you one last question. In your piece, you briefly allude to the fact that Turkish authorities confiscated your phone and broke it, along with your colleagues' cameras. Can you explain how that happened and what that experience was like? We read in the news that mass graves uh, has has been have been created in uh, some places, and we saw about uh, a place in uh, near Hatay. Uh, the place call, is called uh, Narlika. So we we read about this story. We saw many videos and photos, and we decided to report from uh, there. So. We went there by car and they told us that 
filming is prohibited. Actually, they told this to Kyriakos, uh, my colleague, and me. They didn't tell Konstantinos, uh, the third colleague, that filming is uh, prohibited. And he was ahead of us, so he basically entered this uh, area and he started uh, taking pictures because he didn't know that it is prohibited. Kyriakos and I, we left the, this area, we went outside our car waiting for Konstantinos. I left my camera in the car and um, yeah, a soldier, a policeman and a guy from uh, a religious affairs uh, an organization which has to do with uh, religion ordered us to give them uh, our phones and Kyriakos camera. I didn't give my camera because I have uh, I left it in uh, my car. So they just grabbed our phones and the cameras. Of course, they did they did this to Konstantinos. They told us that our equipment will be held for uh, three months. After um, contacting the Greek embassy, uh, they told us that uh, we have to go to this place again to take our stuff back and the stuff was uh, the stuff uh, were broken the equipment was uh, broken uh, and i mean totally broken they have smashed the the whole camera the the sensors the lenses uh, they have uh, they had stolen the the sd cards of the camera the batteries of the camera because they took our stuff unofficially it wasn't the police who did this. No, they unofficially took our things. And so we're talking about stealing. <laughs> it's some, it's similar to stealing uh, because even though they returned our stuff uh, broken, uh, there were things that were missing. Uh, and also they took my SIM card, my Greek SIM card and my Turkish SIM card for my phone. I, I tried to recover my files from my phone and the the hard drive is uh, maybe is broken or I cannot recover my files and also <laughs> my sim cards are missing my sim cards with my contacts with everything it's like a violating of my my privacy so after this incident happened we were very scared i mean we didn't know what to expect until we leave uh, this, uh, until we leave the country, we didn't know what's uh, what's allowed, what is allowed, and what's not allowed, because in uh, in situations like this, which is uh, very difficult, we have a, a deadly earthquake with so much difficult uh, conditions for uh, for everyone. Even though we had an accreditation card, it wasn't very clear that they recognize this uh, accreditation card, that they respect this accreditation card. So, I, for example, I asked a soldier if it's allowed to photograph in the area of Iskenderun, uh, in specific. And he told me, you need permission. I don't know what permission I had to, to take, to take pictures in, a, in the street. I mean, I have an accreditation card. What other permission do I need? So I decided not to photograph in this area because I was, I was afraid if I, if I will get arrested. Uh, if uh, they will take my camera again, okay, it's it was uh, it was difficult to to know what's uh, what's allowed and what's not allowed, and it uh, wasn't uh, only us. We heard about other journalists that 
experienced uh, the same. I will be fair, it's, it's only in this area that uh, such things have, uh, have happened. It's not in the whole southeast Turkey. But okay, again, the freedom of speech in uh, Turkey, we know that it's in very uh, low position. But I don't, I don't say that this incident was political. It was just the decision of some people running this place of the mass graves. They decided that whenever we see a journalist or a photographer or a videographer or I don't know who, uh, if we say to him it's not allowed and he or she doesn't leave the place immediately, they will take his or her stuff. In the rest of the south, um, southeast Turkey, I have read some, ex- some experiences that journalists face, but... Yeah, I think it's uh, it's mostly the fear that they have created for uh, the journalists. It it was very difficult. I was lucky enough to save my camera. I think that's why I managed to do any work from uh, from Turkey. Thank you, Viktoras. Thank you for the piece that you wrote for us and for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Viktoras Antonopoulos speaking with me, Faranisa Campana, about his work covering the recent earthquake on the Turkey-Syria border. That's it for this week's In Conversation, where we take a deeper look into the stories we publish. Music by EpidemicSound.com. 